Well, welcome to the broadcast. We're here with Dr. Dan Allender. Some of you may not be familiar with Dan, so I'm going to just do a little bio, Dan. So just stand by. A pioneer of a unique and innovative approach to trauma. For 30 years, the Allender theory has brought healing and transformation to hundreds of thousands of lives. That's powerful. MDiv and a PhD in counseling psychology, faculty at Grace Theological Seminary, founded the Seattle School of Theology and Psychology to train therapists, founded the Allender Center to cultivate healing and train leaders, professor of counseling at the Seattle School, author of my favorite of your books, Leading with a Limp and the Wounded Heart and the Healing Path, co-hosts a weekly podcast seen by two million, maybe most importantly lives with his wife Becky on Bainbridge Island, where they enjoy their three children and grandchildren. Dan, welcome to the broadcast. Great. Uh, delight to be with you. But you know, anytime I hear my own bio, the response is mostly exhaustion. Uh, and, and, and then also, you know, how do we live? How do we actually live and do things? And uh, the, so anyway, I, I, I won't take us any further other than thank you. Thank you for the privilege of being with you. Well, you're welcome. You know, Convene has been working with thousands of executives for 25 years, and you and I have talked before this time to know that somewhere today, uh, groups of men and women who lead companies are meeting for a day or a half a day or a few hours, and they meet on a regular basis ongoing. And I know you're a fan of that kind of thinking, but right now, all across the country, these leaders are going as fast as you're going with all the things I just described in your bio, they're going 100 miles an hour in the 55 zone and they're saying things like, I'm fine, I'm fine, I don't have time to think, I don't have time to feel. But here's, if I can just say, the genesis of me wanting to spend time with you and I was so excited about this. I was listening to my friend Kay Warren and you doing a podcast in the very room that you're in. And she said to you something that was not very profound, but it became profound. She said, I'm just so tired. And you said, I am too. And you began to talk about people who won't let themselves be tired, are drinking that extra glass of wine, are not wanting to sleep for five minutes in the middle of the day. And you said, trauma, it's trauma. And I said, what the heck? I don't have any trauma. And you said, let me define trauma so speak to those people, if you would. Oh, my goodness. Well, uh, the fact that they're listening in and of itself is, again, a gift and a privilege. Uh, because so often people who are in leadership positions have the, both the privilege and the burden of keeping things going. And the idea of stopping feels like uh, everything's going to catch up to you and you're not going to be able to move forward. So just alone to be able to address these matters, again, as I said, it's a great honor and privilege. But let's let's start with trauma. Trauma can be capital T, uh, severe uh, violation of human dignity or a violation that comes due to a, a severe threat or danger. So an auto accident in which you barely survived. Yes, that's a capital T trauma, but you just got followed by somebody with road rage and they threatened you at level by driving too close. I wouldn't call that a capital T trauma, but your body generally doesn't distinguish between capital T and small t because our bodies are, in many ways, by the gift of God, prepared 
for fight or flight uh, or to freeze. So we are, our body is prepared for danger. So the nature of trauma, it involves a threat, any level of threat, threat to life, threat to reputation, threat to income, threat to one's organization. Anytime there's a threat, your body is going to ramp up with certain biochemicals, including cortisol and adrenaline and noradrenaline, the catecholamines. All the stress biochemicals are going to shoot up when you get a phone call that puts you in the middle of a crisis. So if we can just start with that, crises are another form of trauma, and your body ramps up, fight, flight, or freeze. And most of us who are in leadership positions uh, uh, fight. So we we are prepared for the unpreparable. In that, we ramp up. But when you live at that level of threat, when you add a sense of powerlessness, and leaders, generally speaking, cannot and will not own where they have been caught in some form of trap, their own others, where they cannot get out. So we are adept at being able to get out of the miry pit. But nonetheless, there are many situations, often in marriage, often in friendship, often with our children, where we have worked hard for a long period of time and we cannot get out. And that combination of threat and powerlessness, it not only intensifies, but shall we say, takes even small t trauma and makes it something a capital T trauma. And when you've got those two elements, plus a sense of shame, some degree of I failed, I am not doing what I need to do. When you've got those three combined, threat, some degree of helplessness, powerlessness, I cannot make the needle move, and judgment of shame. You have all the elements uh, of trauma that your body is going to have to, at some point, engage. Maybe it'll be a year or two from now before your body begins to break down. But it's one of the things we can absolutely verify with strong scientific data. You can outrun trauma. Oh, for a season. But you want to shorten your life, um, you want to incur significant health issues, uh, keep it up, buddy, keep it up. And it will bite you. That's the promise. Well, as you know, with your history uh, of founding, creating, inventing, dealing with crisis, uh, um, dealing with people who need a therapist, some of the people who are listening are high D, running $50 million plus dollar companies. Some of our leaders are running billion dollar companies. And they're saying, well, you know, you look like a nice guy, but I'm just not buying it. My time is scheduled in 15 minute increments. Uh, we had a 25% dip during COVID. We pulled it back. I went to the shareholders meeting. We have the um, shareholders meeting coming up. I uh, couldn't do the date with my wife. Uh, we got on the plane after I was done. We flew to Hawaii. We had a great vacation. We came back and I'm back at it. And I just don't buy it. Trauma, what are you talking about? This is my life. I don't have time to think and feel. What would you say to that executive? 
Well, again, uh, this will sound like a threat, and I don't mean for it to be heard, but we were made for homeostasis, a, a balance between tension, threat, danger, and rest, and comfort. And in many ways, we can say that the nature of faith is the ability to rest, to build the ability to trust. Hope, on the other hand, is the ability to enter into risk, to dream, to risk. So God has intended for there to be this interplay between something that stabilizes us and gives us an anchor, and yet also something that draws us into risk and danger. So faith and hope are working constantly, but the bottom line is, as Paul says, rather clearly in 1 Corinthians 13, 13, and the greatest of these is love. So faith and hope are the handmaidens, the servants of love. So that person whom you just described, oh, I don't doubt that they are capable for a long, long period to function with what comes to be called allostasis. That is, you've moved out of homeostasis. Your stress biochemicals are so ramped up that it's a new normal, and then a new, new normal, and then a new, new, I won't continue the redundancy, but you get the point that you are pressing yourself into a new normal, and you have the capacity. Nobody else does. And here's the point, nor does your own body. So we can come back to go heart disease, cancer, all sorts of immunological issues, uh, inflation of the body in terms of the, the, the what stress biochemicals as they metabolize create a, a kind of um, well uh, arthritis, uh, uh, lots of other immunological issues. You can't escape the reality of living in a fallen world. And to the degree you have that presumption and arrogance, you are actually partaking of what you have no right to partake of, and that's the power of God. So if you actually think of yourself and some of the language you've used, Greg, actually believe that's true, then you're already defying creation. You're defying your creator. You're defying essentially what's necessary to be able to love. So that particular executive, what I'd say is, let me talk to your wife or your husband. Let me talk to your, your children. Let me talk. Now, they may have all the benefits of your multi, shall we say, million dollar life. But I can promise you, nobody can love well when you're violating faith and hope. And so I need to eventually talk with you about the reality of you have sold your soul for a success that has cost you ultimately, not merely your health, that as well, but primarily what you have lost is your ability to hear, to suffer, to join and to have communion with others in the way that God intended you. And if you want to live that life, let me just remind you of a number of Psalms that give very clear clarity about what happens with the rich who have ultimately no intention to deal with justice, to deal with honor, to deal with dignity. 
uh, to deal with real service. So ultimately, when we get down to this, we can talk about health to the nth degree, but my major concern is not just your body, it's your soul, it's your spirit, it's the quality of your relationships. Well, someone listening just said, I, I'm in, I get it, I believe, I'm thinking about this for the first time, what should I do? Mm, well, that person, I just first and foremost want to say, again, thank you. Um, now, don't get too busy too quickly. You know, it, it, a lot of times we don't work out because we don't have time. A lot of times we don't have a conversation because we don't have time. And then to be able to go, well, honestly, now, five push-ups would be better than nothing. Um, don't minimize the small. Be faithful with the small. He will give you the large. So to take five minutes and to say, do I live in a fallen world? Yes. Uh, in a fallen world, will there be ongoing crises? Yes. Are they a form of trauma? Yes. Do they have an effect on my body, my heart, my relationships, my spirit, my soul, my relationship with God? I haven't thought about it, but yes. Now, we just took, what, 45 seconds to say that. Now you got four minutes and 15 seconds to just say, Jesus, what do you have to say to me with regard to this? And it may be a commendation. Just thank you that you're beginning. It may be that Jesus is going to invite you to be able to say, well, maybe I need to take another five minutes from now and just ask the question, how's my health? Um, does it take me on a vacation a week or two weeks like a third of the time just to come down to something called normal. And then the last third's ruined because I'm preparing to go back. And the middle third's ruined because I spent a lot of time doing work uh, and not being with my family, my world. So, you know, just honesty. I mean, so much of confession begins with, can I tell the truth? What truth can I tell? We're all deceived and deceiving. Ooh, that may sound harsh, but the reality is I don't want to hear the truth about my own life. I don't want to hear the truth ultimately about my impact on others. But if I will slow down enough to say, um, my life has a wake and that wake has an effect on others, both good and ill. Can I name both? Not, not just ill, but both. That would be where I would begin the process of some degree of honesty and eventually self-disclosure. Will you talk with your spouse, a good friend, your mentor? Um, will you begin to name certain realities and say, this is not good? Uh, I don't know quite yet what to do, but it's not good for what I know I, I, I I not only experience and feel, but who I want to be. That is a beginning that will take you, oh my goodness, very far. I have three boys and two girls. The three boys all have MDivs, and two of them are pastors. And uh, two of them say to me often these words, uh, which are finally sinking in. They'll say, I'll say, hey, hey, Jason, or hey, Carson, what, what are you doing today? And they say, I'm just taking the day uh, to reflect on the week. 
And my first reaction is, what a waste of time. Yeah. And I need, I have trained myself over the years as I listen to them say that, no, that is an investment in self and in relationship with God and relationship with others. Uh, taking time to reflect is healthy. Oh, amen. And here's the difference. I would already know that was good. Here's the problem. Uh, I don't do what I invite you to deal with. Uh, and that's part of the, shall we say, part of the struggle, I think, for any good leader, irrespective uh, of the world they're in. Um, I would provide that counsel for anyone. And then if you turn it back and say, and Dan, let's look at your calendar. Where have you taken an hour to do this? Uh, that was a conversation I had with my wife, oh, just a few days ago, where she said, I want you to take a half day off. I'm like, what, what do you want to do? And she said, oh, I don't want to be with you. I want you to take a half day off and just reflect on what it's cost you over the last two years of, of a lot of crises, COVID, trials with personnel, donors, life, uh, and step back and take a moment. And part of me actually just said out loud, oh, I can't afford that. There's too much, there's too much chasing me. And it wasn't so much what's ahead. That is all that I need to do. It's more, there's too much grief. There's too much heartache and fragmentation with the debris of the last several years. So it's in my calendar now. Uh, and I, you know, I can say at some level, I'm not looking forward to the time yet because I've done this, at least at certain points in my life. I'm also aware this is a redemptive moment where I'm literally creating space for God to speak, for my own heart to hear, but also speak about the things that um, we as an organization, me within that organization, uh, I, I've not had the, shall we say, the leisure or time in the midst of a lot of uh, raging forest fires to, to take that. So let's just say for each of us, if anyone hears this and says, oh, yeah, 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 I should diet. Yeah, 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 I should sleep more. Yes, yes, yes. This is a spiritual discipline. This is not going to be easy. It will cost you. But again, the gain, I, I don't know how to say it louder. The gain is life. Mm, wow. Well, let's switch gears a little bit. You pick up most leadership books and you find strategies for leveraging your power uh, to minimize your weakness, to build on your strengths. But the Bible has a different model. God seems to favor leaders who... Uh, maybe don't make the most of power as a, a, a thing by itself, but the power that comes from brokenness. Uh, most effective leaders don't rise to power in spite of their weaknesses. They lead with power because of their weaknesses, you say in your book. It's their authenticity in limping, limping leadership that compels others to follow them. How would you say you define leading with a limp? Because it sounds like, oh, 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 I don't want to do that. And I surely don't want anybody to know I have one. Well, let, let's just again start with, with something that will sound brutal. Everyone reads your mail. 
<laughs> if, if you think you can hide your weaknesses, uh, either you are not very bright or uh, you have indulged in a level of arrogance that does not befit you. I mean, if anyone's been around you for likely a half hour to an hour, they have a sense of how, in one sense, remarkable and beautiful you are, but also uh, how broken and in some sense weak you are. And the more the crisis comes, the worst and the best of us comes to the surface. So we, we just need to be able to start with, like if you think you can hide your weaknesses, uh, then you're with people who are not very bright. You're not very bright. You're bright. The people around you are bright. They read your mail. So the task at this point is, shall we start with um, a, a phrase that Paul uses in First Timothy 1, that uh, here's a worthy worthy statement, uh, uh, worthy of your full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. So Paul takes a status as the person who most needs forgiveness. And it's not debatable if you believe scripture. So who's number two? Well, my conviction is I know my own heart better than any other heart. Uh, I get the privilege of working with many, many, many people. I know a lot of people well, but I know my heart better. And I know the reality is I struggle with lust, which is the desire to consume. Uh, I struggle with anger, which is a vengeance that I want to make people pay. So that's what Jesus refers to as sin, lust and anger. It's not just sex. It's not just, you know, anger management. It's the interplay of an emptiness I want to have filled and demand it. And then when it doesn't work, I'm going to make somebody, maybe even myself, pay for that. So if we can step back and be able to say the nature of sin is what creates weakness. So if we're escaping weakness, we're really trying to escape the reality of lust and anger in each of our lives. And we need to come to be able to say, no one, no matter how mature, has escaped the reality of sin. If you say you do not sin, you're a liar, John says. So uh, it's kind of a bind. Of course we eat sin and fail every day. That's why forgiveness is such a gift. Yet the impact of my sin, I can't, I mean, no matter how well I dress, no matter how well I articulate, the reality of my own lust and anger is going to show itself in every meeting. It's going to show itself in every endeavor in some form. Now, that doesn't mean every encounter I need to be confessing my sin. I just need to be aware it's there. And then when in one sense, the ripples become far more substantial waves. I got to have the ability to name it uh, or and or the ability to let others name it. Uh, I was in a meeting not long ago, uh, and one of my staff said to me, um, would it be all right if you or if we took about a 10 minute break? And I said, great. Yeah, absolutely. And I said, because it didn't make sense at that moment. And I said, can I ask how, why? Um, and, and the person's response was, 
um, we're, we're stepping into really hard matters, and your your irritation uh, is showing, and it, it creates fear for most of us. So I thought if you took ten minutes just to walk, to pray, uh, to collect yourself, um, then 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 maybe your own fragmentation wouldn't cause us to fragment. And I'm like, oh my. Is it that obvious? And the answer is yes, it is. And so a 10-minute break was not a potty break. It wasn't to get a drink. It was, can we let Dan tend to his own heart and come back to whom he really wants to be so that we can return? There was no judgment like you're a bad leader or get it, get it together, buddy. But it was, I can't read my own face, but the people who are with me can. And so that gifting, that there is the ability that first and foremost, the data of our failure is not foreign. It should never be foreign. And yet, it, it it's also shouldn't be a surprise to anyone that we all, all struggle with lust and anger. In which case then, there is a freedom to engage our own heart, other hearts, to create a, frankly, a far more profitable process to move forward in any endeavor, be it marriage, be it friendship, be it parenting, be it a meeting with your major executives. So again, how this actually gets played out, how you articulate it might be very different than the way I just put words to it, but we need to be able to engage one another's failures as well as one another's brilliance and goodness and beauty in a way that is neither foreign nor forced, yet indeed highly truth-oriented and profitable. Mm. I love uh, the way you put something in the middle of that. Um, those few paragraphs. Uh, if executives could say to either themselves or if they could give their staff permission to say to them, can we take a break so that you, the leader, could return to who you really want to be? I love that. Thanks for that. No, it's it's a gift. And I'm thinking of the particular person, Melissa, who spoke those words to me. She's she's a courageous young woman. and And yet... I don't think she would have chosen to speak it if I had not spoken it about myself in other meetings, where at least I've been able to name, I'm not doing well right now, given where we are, and I need about a 10-minute break. Um, and so those 10 minutes might might be a run to, to the bathroom, might be to get you know uh, a Synergy Raw Kombucha Cosmic Cranberry, which I have right here, uh, but it's also... Can I get back ultimately um, to my relationship with Jesus? Can I get back to engage him? In which case, I will be, I will be um, a better man and I will be a better leader if, if I can do that. And again, there are times where it would not be helpful. I know I'm not doing well. It would not be helpful to make that break. But nonetheless, is there a freedom to do that? Uh, and it, the absence of that um, is quite telling. Another thing you talked about in Leading with a Limp, an, an incredible book, I just have to say, uh, was that 
executives and leaders have to deal with a glory. And I kind of said, glory, what is that? And is that glory, hallelujah? <laughs> and it wasn't. It's the idea that I, I remember a business trip I was on one time back in the old days when we actually got on planes. And, um, you know, everybody has our profile and they're so happy that we uh, spend all our money at their hotel. And so I remember, you know, getting in the limo and the driver said, hello, Mr. Leith, how are you? And we got to the hotel and they said, welcome, Mr. Leith, we have your room ready. And when I was on the plane, they said, oh, Mr. Leith, we're so thankful you're flying with American Airlines. And, and so everybody was thanking me and I got to the meeting and everybody's like, oh, hello, Mr. Leith. And sometimes when we go to a book a hotel, they line people up at the front door to sort of greet us. That's glory. And we have to fight it. Talk about that. Well, it, 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 dealing with each of our own brokenness uh, is hard work. But frankly, with even moderately honest, let, let's just say uh, bluntly put, um, if you if you're prone to a pretty high level of narcissism, facing your own need for a savior is not easy. But you know, the reality is even those who are bound to a certain degree of grandiosity or big dreams, et cetera, uh, come on. Um, uh, in, in good private moments, there's at least some ownership. Given that, it is easier to deal with sin than to deal with glory. And, you know, you are made in the image of God. That alone ought to stagger you. You are made in the image of God. No creature, uh, rhinoceroses, uh, uh, the archangel Michael, um, no creature is made in the image of God but you and me. Then we are recreated in the image of Christ. Again, stunning. You house the very spirit of God. You are a temple. I mean, this is not new stuff. But to step back from that, and to say, owning your giftedness, I find more reluctance, more ultimately refusal to name the tenderness, the strength, the beauty, the goodness of your life. Oh, you may know you do very well at certain things, and there's ownership. But the heart and its glory being named in you. People are uh, embarrassed, reluctant, uh, and it is, it's a complex issue that uh, it might take a, a whole other podcast to address, but let's just name it in this way. Most people, when they truly get named for the beauty, don't know how to receive it. So there is a glory that you have been given. You didn't create yourself. Uh, whatever self-made existence you think you did, uh, it's all a gift. It's all a gift. But many executives um, have gifts in the range of, of, you know, again, back to that Matthew 24 and 25 passage. You, you, you were given eight, nine, ten talents. Can we own those? Can we truly own them? And can they be owned particularly in this framework of they are a gift? And for you to be humble enough to name they exist, but also to name they are gifts. Now, 
a gift always is meant to create gratitude. So does your own glory create gratitude and a sense of awe? Does it create a kind of, I can't believe I get this privilege. And thank you. Thank you. So many executives feel both powerful but burdened. Uh, a kind of, okay, I'll do it. Uh, but not with a deep sense of privilege because there's an absence of gift, an absence of gratitude. And in that, an amazement that a man like me at the level of failures, past, present, and future, get to be on a podcast with you talking about these matters, it ought to stun me versus uh, it's part of my day, it's part of my schedule, and yes, it's part of the work that I do. Now, what's the next thing? That kind of mentality of, I've got 15-minute appointments, now move on. I can promise you there is not a sense of gratitude or awe by virtue of owning the giftedness that allowed you to be in the position you're in doing what you get to do. Mm. Well, we're closing in on the end of our time and I want to finish with one um, idea, you know, convene. Uh, I don't want this to be a commercial, so we'll try to make it not a commercial. Con convene is about men and women who lead companies getting together on a regular basis for years on end and working with each other to put the leadership that they uh, that they do on a biblical framework. So they are together in community every month for a day. You've said in your book, limping leaders need each other. Speak to the person who says, need other people meet for a day a week? Are you kidding me? I'm fine. I don't have time for that. Well, again, um, can we address your arrogance? Uh, uh, because it isn't the issue of time, uh, it's the issue of isolation. Um, and it, you know what, what I try to put words to in, in leading with Olymp is that crises are inevitable. It's another form of trauma. And every time you're in any kind of crisis, you will never have enough information to make the best decision. You will always have to deal with confusion. And wherever there's confusion, wherever there is uncertainty, there's fear. And wherever there's fear, there's going to be fragmentation. And with that, there's always some degree of power struggle. There's always some degree of betrayal. And with that, increased exhaustion. Uh, you know, nobody's going to solve this but you, which then creates this key word, isolation. And so the byproduct and who, if I can just bring a whole nother concept, who wants you isolated? Well, um, the prince of darkness, the father of lies, the one who is most committed to your destruction. And so in that sense, the more isolated, go back to warfare, divide and conquer. To the degree you're alone, you're divided, not only internally, but externally. To the degree there are one or more, just one or more, two of you, his presence is there. And so we're right back to a very key biblical concept, and that is communion, fellowship. There is not just fellowship of wisdom or suffering. There's a fellowship of the Spirit. Uh, again, uh, the fellowship of the ring. Yes, there are moments where you need to go on your own, but only because you have gone 
with a community together. And so that interplay of the one heroic act, but always in a context of a communion and community. Um, you know, the Lord of the Rings, yes, there was a task that needed to be done, but that task always had to involve others for it to be done. So to step back and to uncork all that, uh, all I can say is God shows God's self with us in community. Yes, alone. Yes, alone. But in community. Mm. Well, Dan, thank you so much for taking time from uh, Bainbridge Island in Washington uh, and helping people around the world who are leading companies to uh, just grapple with the fact that it's okay to be a little off track sometimes and that uh, all the things that we've talked about. So thank you so much for your work. Thanks for the book, Leading with a Limp. And thanks for the work you did on the, the movie, Heart of Man. Uh, that's been a strong um, uh, learning content material at uh, Convene. So we're very grateful you took time for uh, more to find out about Dr. Allender and uh, uh, everything that he does. Log on to Allender Center. And if you want to buy the book Leading with a Limp, you can log on to Amazon. And if you want to find more about Convene, www.convenenow.com. Thanks very much for being with us. My delight. Thank you.